0: And thanks for listening. It's great to see all of you here this afternoon. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. It's especially great this afternoon to see some of the kids who are here in the service. Hope you're doing well. You know what's nice about this time of year is um, our post-church play has returned, right? We're going to have that after worship service. Only about a half an hour, 45 minutes until we get to go outside to the playground. Um and I know that a, a big part of post church play for you kids is foursquare, isn't it? Well, I want to let you know that I dabbled in some foursquare when I was younger. Um it's been a while, but I feel like I was pretty good at foursquare. And I don't know if this is still a rule in foursquare. I need some of you kids after the service to to fill me in, but the way that I played is whoever made it to the king square, you know, the top square, they got to choose the rules they could set rules. I see some people nodding their heads as though that is still a thing that happens. Um, and, you know, regionally there are lots of different rules. So if you grew up playing Foursquare in one part of the country and then you move to another, it's like a whole new world. You got to learn the rules. And, you know, I'm fine with, with that, uh, the, the fact that the king gets to make the rules. But, you know, what I wasn't fine with and I don't know if this still happens, but there are always some kids, right, the whiny kids who complain about the rules, right? They don't like the rules being changed, and then the whole game stops, and you end up just rather than playing four square, you're sitting there, and you're talking about the rules forever. And I'm like, let's just play. And, and the, 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 the worst of all is the kid who gets so worked up about the rules and doesn't want to play by the rules that the king sets, and he grabs the ball, and he says, it's my ball, I'm going to leave and go home. And it ruins it for everyone, right? That's why you always got to have a backup uh, ball. So I was thinking about this this week, and here's why. Because it, it's something that doesn't just happen in Foursquare. And it doesn't just happen when you're a kid. I think this happens for all of us in a lot of different parts of our life. Where we don't like the rules, and we decide we're not going to play. Anymore. We're going to take our ball and go home. And I think we even do this with God. We do this in our spiritual lives. We don't like the rules that the king sets. Well, the king is God. And we say, well, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. I want you to think about that as we get into this passage today. We've started a relatively new series here at City Church where we're looking at the Gospel of Luke and we've been looking at stories from Luke chapter seven in particular. And we've been asking this question as we've read these stories, who is Jesus? And secondly, how do we respond to who Jesus is? And we're gonna uh, follow that same approach again today. We've seen already that Jesus is a man with great authority and that jesus is a man of great compassion but last week we also saw that jesus is really unexpected And today's passage um, unfolds the way that jesus is unexpected in some different ways so let's take a look and read here in luke chapter 7. these words are printed in the worship guide and you're welcome to follow along there or if you brought a bible i encourage you to open your bible and read Uh, As I read these words aloud, I'm going to read verses 28 through 35. Here's what it says. And it starts with Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And Jesus speaks again and he says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer as we read your word remind us of your steadfast love for sinners like us and give us encouragement in the places that we need it we pray this in jesus name amen so our first question simple question right who is jesus and thus far in this series as we've asked that question the answer has come at the beginning of the passage we have kind of introduced to a dimension of jesus today it's a little bit different who jesus is comes at the very end of the passage it's actually verse 34 that i want to draw your attention to it says this look at him it's talking of jesus a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors in sinners. There is the identification of who Jesus is, but it's a little bit tricky because it's an identification that first of all comes from those who are opposed to Jesus. It comes from voices that are hostile to who Jesus is. It's also further complicated by the fact that in this identification the first two things they say aren't right. They say a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus was neither a glutton, nor a drunkard. But then it says, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they're absolutely right. That's, the, that's who Jesus is. That's what Luke wants us to understand about who Jesus is in this passage, that Jesus is a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. I don't know, about eight or nine years ago here at City Church, we were uh, throwing a a little get-together for our small group leaders. We wanted to thank them for the year of leading small groups. And we planned uh, uh, food and drink, and we wanted to give them a little gift. And so we we had these special koozies designed. And I know it's going to be a little far away for you, but this is the koozie that we designed. Some of you are familiar with these. There's a, a picture of kind of smiling Jesus with long hair on there and it says city church of richmond and underneath it drinking with sinners since 2006. and um, the response to these koozies was a little bit mixed i'll be honest Uh, and just leaving aside the blatant um, disregard for the second commandment um, people were upset because of the some people were upset because of the message of drinking with sinners and I always think of this passage, because that is essentially a paraphrase of what we have here in Luke 7, that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The problem, the accusation, that he, was that he was eating and drinking with sinners. And so when we say City Church is drinking with sinners, we're doing what our Savior did before us. I think what all of that reveals is that this fundamental identification of who Jesus is, a friend of sinners, spooks us a little bit. We get spooked by God's grace. How good it is, how wide it is, who it is for. I know this is true for me. I totally understand this. There's certain books, there's certain authors that I read, and they talk so much about God's free grace. They talk so much about how Jesus cares for sinful people. And there's this little voice in the back of my head that says, wait a second, is that right? Does his love really go that far? Do his arms really stretch wide open for that type of sinner? And Friends, the answer is always yes. And so I have to keep reading those books. I have a few books like that, that I know kind of needle me in just the way that I need to be needled around grace. And I pull them off my shelf every now and then to remind myself of how great God's love is for us. One of those authors is a guy named Paul Zoll. And I put a quote from him at the top of the worship guide. It says this, God has a heart. His one-way love for sinners and then he says, this is the problem with Christianity. This piece of logical and ethical incongruity and inappropriateness is the problem with Christianity. It is also the New Testament's account of grace. I know I have a problem with it. It goes against all of, uh, all of the ways that I want everything to be fair, all of the ways that I want the good things in life to be earned, but it's the message of grace, grace to sinners, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. You know, the the problem at the end of the day is that I just don't trust grace. I wanna trust rules, I wanna trust uh, behavior modification, I wanna control other people, I don't want them to be won by grace. Another thing we do here at City Church, we when we do a new members class, and most of you have been through that, some of you more recently than others, but the uh, what we do every time we get together for a new members class at City Church is, is we read from Luke's gospel. We read from a little further on in Luke chapter 15. And Luke 15, as you may know, uh, contains different parables. Parables of the lost coin, and parables of the lost sheep, and parables of the lost sons. And it starts with this, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then he goes on to tell these stories, these parables, about how wide God's heart is for the lost. Do you see the theme that comes up again and again in the Gospels? And it's not just Luke. Jesus is a friend for sinners. We have to keep coming back to that fact. Because what the church does really well is it takes younger brothers and it turns them into older brothers. It takes sinners and saves them by grace and then makes them into Pharisees who look down their noses on other people. Friends, we have to remember that we are still sinners and Jesus is our friend. It's not just that we were sinners, it's that we are sinners. And every day we are dependent on the wide grace of Jesus coming to us. And the moment that we move on from that, the moment that we forget that, grace starts leaking out of our lives. It starts leaking out of our churches. Jesus is a friend for sinners. It's it's, it's the most basic fact about Jesus. Jesus. We read it in our assurance of pardon. Rebecca read it for us. Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you when you were a sinner. Why? Because he is a friend of sinners. It's a simple point, really. But it's scandalous. It's incongruous. It's inappropriate. As Paul Zoll says, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Last week I talked a little bit about the scandal of the cross this word scandal on stumbling block and and this is the real scandal this is the stumbling block of christianity not just that jesus died on a cross but that he died specifically for people who didn't deserve it for sinners sinners like you and me And it will continue to be a scandal to you. It will be a stumbling block. You'll hate this fact about Jesus as long as you don't see yourself as a sinner. We have to see ourselves as sinners in order to be recipients of God's grace. So that we can rejoice that Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's who Jesus is. Well, what is the response to who Jesus is? That's the the second question that we've been asking throughout this sermon series. What is our response to the fact that Jesus is a friend to sinners? Well, this passage presents a split response. We see two options. The first one comes in verse 29. And here's what it says. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now, this phrase, they declared God just, is kind of a funny phrase to our ears because we think of God as being the one who does the justifying, right? So they declared God just. What are what are we saying with that? Essentially what it means is that they receive God's purpose. They're accepting. They're recognizing that God is right. We could put it this way they're understanding that God makes the rules. He's the king. He sets the rules. And the, the key to this, the key to understanding why some of the people get this, that they declare God just, is the second part of the verse, where it says, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Well, what does that mean? Why would Luke include that? Well, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism that recognized that they were sinners in need of cleansing. You see, that's what made these people receptive to the rules that God was laying down for the kingdom. They knew they were sinners in need of saving, and so they were willing to play by the rules that said that Jesus is a friend of sinners. What's the other response? Well, it comes in just the next verse, verse 30 but right so there's one response of all the people who declared god just and then this strong word of contrast but the pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of god for themselves not having been baptized by him now it's just the opposite response they reject god they say no god uh, we're not going to play by your rules the surprise though of this second response is who it is notice the difference It was all the people, and especially the tax collectors, the marginalized, the sinful people of the day, who declared God just. And it's the Pharisees and the lawyers who reject the purpose of God in their lives. Well, who are they? They're the religiously serious. They're the people who thought they knew all the rules that God laid down in the Old Testament, all the right ways of living the spiritual life. They're the ones who reject God. They're the ones who thought they knew the, the proper way to relate to God and how God would relate to us. They knew the right ways to behave. But again and again in the Gospels, it is the religiously serious, it is the ones who think they know all the right things about God who miss Jesus. Now, there's a warning in that for you and me. Because in today's day and age, the religiously serious are the people who fill churches. And think, well, we, we have this God figured out. We know he, who he should be friends with and who he shouldn't be friends with. There are lots of examples of this. You can probably think of some in, in your own life, your own experience. Uh, one that came to mind for me was there was a, a church that... Uh, you know they they started out with great intentions they wanted to be a church where that would reach uh, adolescents teenagers that they would come and uh, be able to hear about jesus at their church and they had this um, basketball court and they said oh this would be perfect well we'll let kids come in but you know teenagers came in and used their basketball court and they uh, ripped the net down and they damaged the rim and so the church put a big sign on the door and said you can't use it except if it's approved they put a lock on the door and say don't go in there because you're doing too much damage to our core you see they they doubled down on these rules because they didn't really believe that sinners could be around Another example of this, uh, you know, I I grew up going to Young Life Camp a lot, and I actually don't know if this is still true of Young Life Camp, but when I started going to Young Life Camp, there was a part of the camp that was called the Smoker's Pit. And it was a place where people could go and smoke. But there were so many Christians at the Young Life Camp who said, oh, we can't have a Smoker's Pit, we should get rid of that. Well, if Jesus is a friend of sinners, Jesus is going to be a friend of smokers. You see, it's these subtle ways that we put additional rules on top of God. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now, the options of response to Jesus being a friend of sinners is further developed in this passage in the second half, right? We see it first played out in verses 29 and 30, but then Jesus uses uh, kind of this adage. He uses a saying to further explain it, develop it for us. It says in verse 31, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? Jesus is essentially uh, going through his mind and saying, well, how shall I compare kids these days? What What is this generation like Who are these people like? And then he gives this answer and he says they are like children. Now this is loaded, right? Jesus is saying this generation is childish. This generation, they're like whiny brats. This isn't a a form of flattery. He's not buttering them up. He's going right after them saying you're childish if you think this way, if you reject the purpose of God, if you reject the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners, you're like a child. You're totally missing it. You're like the child that takes his ball and leaves the four-square court and goes home. And then he shares in verse 32 kind of this enigmatic saying. It's hard to understand, right? He says, we played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. This week in the City Church office, you know, we had shared this passage with Eric Genvy, who's leading the music team. And he said, oh, it sounds a lot like a Presbyterian response to worship. <laughs> we played a happy song. You didn't like that. We played a sad song. You didn't like that. It kind of underscores the fact that Adam has the hardest job in all of City Church. Because every Monday morning we walk in and we talk about the worship service before and the rest of the staff just complains about the songs, right? Right? It's it's a classic kind of you're damned if you do and damned if you don't type situation. And what Jesus does after he shares this adage is he explains it by referencing John the Baptist in Jesus himself. Uh, He says, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. So John the Baptist was known as this ascetic. He followed this spiritually rigorous life. And people looked at him and they said, weirdo, right? He's a little too serious about religion. He's a little too fanatical about what he eats or doesn't eat, what he drinks or doesn't drink. So he's just too serious about it. And then Jesus comes along, right? The one who is, we're told in the passage before, is greater than John the Baptist. People take a look at Jesus and he's out there having meals with people. He's drinking. And they say, oh, he's a lush. He's a glutton and he's a drunkard. He's not serious enough about religion. Right? If if John and Jesus had Spotify playlists, let's just say for a hypothetical, right? John's is like a breakup Spotify playlist, right? And Jesus is is a party playlist. And the people are saying, both of them stink. Why don't they listen to some good music? That's the point of what Jesus is getting at here. Damned if you do, damned if. If you don't and, and to, uh kind of the climax of the whole thing comes in verse 34 right look at him and you can see the people the pharisees just shaking their heads and wagging their fingers at jesus look at him he's got it all wrong because he is the coming one who comes in an unexpected way the one who comes with authority, the one who comes with compassion, but the one who is not playing by the rules that the Pharisees had defined for themselves and for everyone else. They're saying, well, John's wrong and Jesus is wrong. And it all boils down to this. If John is wrong and Jesus is wrong, it leaves one thing. We're not wrong. We're right. And at its core, That's what Jesus is going after here. That's what he's addressing. Our thought, deeply embedded in our hearts and minds, that we know the right way. And the right way for God to operate is not to be a friend of sinners. You see, the the fundamental problem with Jesus being a friend of sinners is that in order for Jesus to be your friend, You have to be a sinner and we will go through so much to avoid saying that that's why the confession of sin every Sunday in our worship service is so hard right it sticks out gets under your skin it's an irritant you mean again this week I have to announce that I'm a sinner yeah absolutely so, really, what I've been talking about is largely this wrong response to Jesus. Most of this passage is kind of an unfolding of, of how we respond wrongly to the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Well, what's the right response? At the very end of the passage, we get another glimpse into what the right response is. It's verse 35, and it says, Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Again, this is kind of a strange phrase. What does that mean? Well, I think the way we understand what it means is by looking back at verse 29, where we started, because there it says, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. It's that same word, just, right? Wisdom is justified by her children. Verse 35 is summarizing the right response, declaring God's declaring God just. That's the wise path. Recognizing that his rules are the right rules for life. Receiving the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that we don't manage our relationship to God, that our relationship to God is given as a gift based on Jesus's care for sinners. Wisdom is justified. It is made manifest. It is vindicated when people receive the rules of the kingdom of God these upside down rules these unexpected rules that the coming one Jesus brought in a way that no one would have imagined and this wisdom this wisdom of the kingdom always will stand opposed to the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the world says it's the good people who get grace the wisdom of the kingdom says that Jesus is a friend of sinners that jesus came not to call the righteous but to call sinners to repentance and then this truth the wisdom of this way of life the wisdom of the kingdom of god is vindicated by lives that are transformed by grace not lives that are cleaned up by self-effort by trying to keep all the rules by doing all the works but receiving grace, this gift that comes from God and God alone. Transformed lives. So when you and I admit that we're sinners and begin to live lives out of grace, not out of our own strength and out of our own works, we begin to vindicate, we begin to prove, we begin to manifest the wisdom of the kingdom way. So, that's my encouragement to you today and every day. Play by the rules of the kingdom. When when this message of grace seems too good to be true, too hard to accept, don't grab your ball and leave the four-square court and go home, no. Rather, acknowledge that the King of heaven is right in His grace and live out of that grace. Begin to name yourself truly as a sinner And I don't mean just the the curated, acceptable sins that we confess in our little small groups, right? You can be a real sinner because Jesus is a friend to real sinners. The deep, hard, dark stuff that you never thought you would tell anyone, it does not disqualify you from Jesus' love. Whether it happened in the past or it happened last night. Jesus is a friend to sinners. And then, as you receive that, and as you continue to receive that, go and live these rules of the kingdom with others. Go and eat and drink with other real sinners. Throw parties for other real sinners. Hand them real beers, with or without koozies. That is a sign that you have been transformed by grace. That you believe that this is true for you and for them. That Jesus is a friend of sinners. Let's pray. Father, I acknowledge to you that there are parts of this message that I really don't like because I like to manage life I like to do things well and think that it's because of all that that you love me and that I'm accepted. So I thank you for the songs we've sung today that uh, remind me that sinners can come to you. And I pray that this truth would seep down into my heart and into the hearts of these friends who are here today. We need it for ourselves. We want uh, to live by grace. We want to be transformed by grace and we want to live by that grace towards others. Even knowing that there are gonna be people who reject you, who scratch their heads and say, can that really be true? No way. Jesus, a friend for sinners. We're grateful for your grace, for your mercy that calls wanderers like us home. And we pray that you would continue to do that in us every day of our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.